Hey, this is Pastor Arm, and I want to thank you for joining me today for the Activation Church podcast. We are here so that people can activate their life in Christ, and I believe this message is going to help you go further than ever before. Check it out. For the past several weeks, we've been in a series on the book of Ephesians called Working with Grace. Grace is God's enabling power for you to become who he's called you to become and to do what he has called you to accomplish. That's why we say we're working with grace. We're not working alone. God is working in us and through us to accomplish his will. God is working with us to empower us. And he's given us every tool and resource we need to do and become whoever he's called us to be and whatever he called us to do. I take great comfort in knowing that whatever I come to, I can accomplish because God is with me. If he's brought me to something, then he will walk me through it. He will bring me through it. It doesn't matter how big the struggle, it doesn't matter how big the battle, my God, if he is for me, nothing can be against me. And so I learn how to resist. That's a powerful word you need to get. We learn how to resist the trial, resist the temptation, resist the enemy. And so Ephesians is broken down into two major themes. The first three chapters has to do with what Jesus has accomplished for us. The last three chapters are how we live in response to what he's done. And as Paul begins to close out this letter, he begins to tell us that we are in a war. You do know that there is a battle for your mind. There's a battle for your family. There's a battle for your marriage. We are in a fight, and we have an adversary that wants to devour our life. He goes around, the Bible says, like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's keeping an open eye to see where the opportunity or the weak space is to slip into your life. That's why Paul tells us and warns us in chapter 4 of Ephesians that we do not give him any opportunity. Because any bit of open door that you allow, he will come in. And so what Paul is going to do in Ephesians chapter 6 and what we're going to get into today is he's going to begin to prepare us for how we stand firm when the fight comes, because the fight is coming. For many of you, the fight is here. The fight is daily. But he also wants to show us how to keep the door closed, how to prepare us so that when the attack comes, we're ready. Because how many of you know, if you study the film, if you study their game plan, then you can have a strategy for victory. I don't know if you remember playing Mike Tyson Punch-Out, Anybody old enough to remember playing that? You had the little cartridge, and before you put it into the machine, what'd you have to do? Bump, bump, blow, (laughs) and pray that it worked. And so Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, what I learned through playing that game is you didn't just hop into the ring with those boxers and expect to win. Every boxer had a tail. Every boxer had a pattern, and once you learned their pattern, it was easy to beat them. Even Mike Tyson, the final championship round, the the bad man himself that nobody could beat as a kid. Once you learned his pattern, it was easy. You knew you had to watch for that uppercut, and as soon as that uppercut came, you dodged it, and then you popped him in the face. See, once you know that the attack is coming, you know how the attack is coming, then you can be prepared so that you can stand firm and keep yourself closed off so that things don't get in. Because, you know, it's like this week I was walking and um, I bumped my leg into something. And I cut my knee open. The first thing I did was I went and washed it out. And I bandaged it. Because an open wound that is untreated can possibly fester. It can get some bacteria in there and it can begin to grow. And it can become something more severe than just a scratch on my knee. What I'm trying to say is there, there are things in our life that seem small. There are things in our life that may seem minimal 
But once you step into that arena, whether it's through your mind or opening your heart, you're opening yourself up to the enemy to come in and start wreaking all kinds of havoc. But I got good news. It doesn't have to be that way. You can't avoid the fight, but you can avoid or change or determine the outcome. Because how many of you know that you are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ? So let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to start looking at verse 10. Paul says, finally, as I'm closing my letter, finally you need to know this. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. See, it's not about your power. It's not about your ability. It's not about your strength. It's not about your wisdom. It's about God who is with you and operating inside of you. And you can learn to rest and relax in his strength, in his power. So he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Not just a piece, not just a portion, but the entire suit. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? So that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He's got some schemes. He's got some strategies. He's coming, but you can stand as long as you are properly prepared. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, because of this, because you've got a fight that is a spiritual fight, you need to learn to fight in a spiritual way. See, there are natural problems that we face. This week, my wife and I took our kids to Jekyll Island. We went camping, and we had to deal with mosquitoes. They were terrible. The toilet on our RV, well, let me just put it this way. I've got three little girls and a wife. The toilet on the RV doesn't stand a chance. So we had that to deal with. We had rented a golf cart to go view the island. The golf cart had a flat tire. There are these things they call night bandits, which is a raccoon that come into camp, and they destroy and demolish everything. Anything that's left out, they take. On our way home, after dealing with all of this stuff, it starts pouring rain. I've got to go park the camper by myself in the dark, in the pouring rain. The parking lot is flooding out. These are all problems that are natural, and they have natural solutions, right? But what about the spiritual problems, the spiritual battles? See, you can't fight those with a natural response. You can't medicate a demon. Hello? See, there are sicknesses that happen to our, our bodies because of a fallen world. There are sicknesses that happen because of our own bad choices or lifestyle or habits. But there is also what the Bible would call a spiritual attack, a, a spirit of infirmity. That's why you'll see that in some cases Jesus will heal people. In other cases, he'll cast out a spirit of, of infirmity. Why? Because it is a spirit that has attached itself to that person that is causing sickness. And the only way to deal with that kind of thing is in a spiritual manner. You can't medicate that. Sometimes I think that we medicate things in this life that Jesus would cast out. Because we're not aware that the attack is not natural. It is spiritual. And spiritual attacks have to have a spiritual response to overcome it. If not, you're going to treat the symptom and never deal with the root of the matter. Many times the things that we wrestle with in our life or in our family, in our marriage, at work, the things that we're wrestling with have an underlying cause of something that was allowed to get in to where the enemy was able to start twisting some stuff up. Maybe there was some kind of trauma in your life. And, and the older I get, the more I realize that most of us have experienced some form of trauma. It may, it may not all be the same kind of trauma or 
to the same extreme, but we all experience some kind of trauma or wound, and if it's not treated properly, we, we allow it to fester. And it can bring about insecurities, it can bring about bitterness, it can bring about unforgiveness, and as soon as you allow that to operate in your life, you've opened the door for the enemy to come in. But as soon as I realize that, that the insecurities that I'm feeling, the anxiety that I carry, the fear that I carry, the depression that I have, all of these things, there's something there that I can take to the Lord in prayer. If I can learn how to renew my mind, if I can learn how to praise him even when I don't feel like praising him, if I can learn how to shift the atmosphere and the environment of my life, then I can learn how to start living in victory and in breakthrough. Are you with me? So he says, put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand firm, stand therefore. Once you've given it all you got, keep on standing. The Bible teaches that we resist the devil and he flees. Some of you in here right now, you may be thinking, you know, I don't feel any spiritual pressure. I don't feel any spiritual attack. Well, maybe it's because you're allowing him to move you in the direction he wants to take you in. You're not going to feel that pressure until you start to turn around and resist and say, enough is enough. I'm taking my family back. I'm taking my marriage back. I'm taking my peace back. I'm taking my joy back. I'm taking my strength back. I'm taking my health back. I'm taking my well-being back. I'm taking our city back. Hello? Once you start fighting that way and you start resisting, you're going to feel pressure. But pressure always comes before breakthrough. And champions are only champions if they're willing to stand and fight the fight. And here's the problem. If you're not willing to fight the fight that needs to be fought right now, your kids are going to have to come up and fight that same fight. If you're not willing to deal with the demons in your life, let's just, the things that are drawing you away, if you're not willing to deal with it, your children are going to have to deal with it. And if they're not willing to deal with it, their children will have to deal with it. That's why things pass on generationally. But here's the good news. The same way that the negative can be passed generationally, the blessing can be passed generationally. The favor can be passed generationally. The victory can be passed generationally. Today I am standing in a generational blessing. Today I stand in generational favor because those that went before me were willing to fight the fight. Now I've got my own fight to fight so that my children can continue walking in the blessing and the favor and the goodness and the mercy of God. Are you ready to fight the fight that you are in? Are you willing to stand your ground? Are you willing to say enough is enough? Freedom is never freely given by the oppressor. The oppressor, if they're never challenged, never goes, you know what, Mary, I'm just tired of taking from you. You know, you've been so good to me, you've never, every time I've come to take something away, you've just been like, here you go. And I, now I want to, it doesn't work that way. It stops when you say enough is enough. This belongs to me. My peace belongs to me. Peace, if you are in Christ, peace belongs to you. That's what he came. He came so that you may have peace. He came so that you may have life and life more abundantly. That means it belongs to me. Jesus shed his blood so that I could take possession of it. And so I am going to own it, baby. My dad used to sing a song, taking it back. <laughs> taking it back, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Randy. When, you know what? You and I could start a church together. Well, <laughs> when we first started Activation Church, we had no idea what to expect. And 
I didn't know if anyone was going to come. You know, I, I didn't know. I had no, you know, it wasn't like most church plants where they've got 100 people that have been meeting for a year together going, hey, let's go get this done. We didn't have anybody. And so I told Randy, I said, I tell you what, if you'll sing to me, I'll preach to you. And that was our deal. But God has blessed us, amen. And I'm thankful that Randy's listening and remembering that song. Taking it back. So, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Now, Paul's going to start showing us how to prepare ourselves. You, you, you stand by being prepared. Here's how you prepare yourself. Please don't let this go in one ear and out the other. You have to fasten on the belt of truth. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as for shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, somebody say all. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit. Most people stop with verse 17 when they're dealing with the armor of God. But there's a comma there, not a period. It continues on into verse 18 where Paul says you've got the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, but you also need to be praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayers and supplication to that end. Keep alert. Keep your eyes open. With all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. The first thing we see here that he lists is the belt of truth. Somebody say truth. When I think about a belt, I think about something that surrounds us, something that keeps us together. How many of you need a little help every once in a while? So when I think about the belt of truth, I think about surrounding myself with truth, immersing myself with truth. Why is that important? Because one of his schemes is deception. And hear this. The enemy does not have to destroy your life. All he has to do is deceive you and you'll destroy your own life. I've said this many times at the church. But in the very beginning when Satan comes to Adam and Eve in the garden... He doesn't take the forbidden fruit off the tree and start shoving it down their throat. And that's how we think the devil works. Eat it, eat it, eat it. That's not how he works. He says, take a look at that. Hey, would you look at it? Take a look at that. He got them to look at it. Then he got them to start thinking about how good it may taste. Then he says, you know what? If you eat that, you'll become like God. There was the deception. He planted the seed of deception, and they took it. Deception is a scheme. And the problem with deception is those who are deceived don't realize that they're deceived. Once you receive truth and God opens your eyes, you start looking at your life going, oh, my God, how deceived was I in that area? The, the more I learn about God and the more I grow in God, the more I see the deception that I allowed in my life and the farther I want to try to walk away from it. And, and so the only way to combat deception is to know the truth. And once I know the truth, the Bible says that that truth will bring me into freedom. The enemy is continuously bombarding you with lies. Look at that. Taste that. Wouldn't that be better? Isn't that a better option? The grass is greener in that field. Once you go, just taste and see. We get deceived. We take. We eat. Samson was a mighty man of God. If you read his story, he was powerful, Tom. 
but he was deceived to lay in the wrong person's lap. And that one deception took out a man that armies could not take out. See, that's, that's what I'm trying to get you to see. It's not this big thing that comes at us that, that well, oh, there's the attack. No, no, it, it seems like very small and significant. I was reading this, this morning, like, during the war, you know, you have all these soldiers who had prepared for, for battle, and they, they had trained themselves for the opposition. And they had the, the weapons that they needed, and they were trained with the weapons. But do you know how many people died from trench foot? Because they didn't have proper footwear in the elements. Their feet got cold. Their feet got wet. And they died. See, it wasn't the enemy that they were looking for that got them. It was the enemy they weren't aware of. The one that they didn't even think about. You, you have to see that the enemy, if you don't know the truth, he can come at you in many different ways and start just picking you apart. And you won't even realize it. You won't even realize it until he's almost done and you look and go, what happened? What happened to this situation? What happened to this relationship? What happened to this, whatever it is, put it in the blank. What happened? But if you follow it back, you'll see there was a moment that you allowed some form of deception to creep in. Something that you allowed to say this would be better or this offers a better solution than this. This will offer you joy. This will offer you peace. This will offer you satisfaction. And we take it, we bite, and for a moment it does. That's the problem is for a moment it does taste good. If sin didn't taste good or feel good, we wouldn't do it. I mean, if every time we did it, it like smacked us in the face, we'd be like, oh, I'm not doing that again. But it feels good. It comforts us. The problem is it's temporary. It's fleeting. And there comes a time where we're worse off than we were before. The truth is the joy you need is in Jesus. The peace that you're looking for really is in him. The, the loneliness that you feel can only be satisfied by him. That's the truth. But the enemy wants us to think it's this or it's that. So somebody say, I've got to have the belt of truth. Then he says, the breastplate of righteousness. I think about the breastplate of righteousness. I think about the protection of my heart. I think about guarding my heart. The Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Other translations will say you need to guard your heart because from your heart flows the issues of life. In other words, your heart is the command center of your life. And whatever you allow in is what's going to be released out. That's why trauma or wounds that aren't dealt with can be so dangerous. Especially if you don't even realize what you went through was a traumatic event. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you didn't realize you had trauma until like years later and you, re you look back and go, wow, that, that moment really did affect me more than I thought it affected me. That moment really did shape me more than I thought it did. And I, I realized that now a lot of my attitudes and feelings come from that. A lot of my insecurities came from that. A lot of my rejection comes from, from, from that place. And if I don't deal with that, then I, I am opening the door for the enemy to come in and bring all that, the insecurities, the bitterness, the, the, the feeling of rejection. So, so what does the Bible say? Guard your heart with the breastplate of righteousness. That's God's way of doing things. In other words, I'm going to start allowing in the things that are pleasing to God and beneficial to me. If it's a thought that is contrary to the word of God, I'm not going to allow it to settle into my heart. I, I've got to learn how to, as the Frozen character would say, let it go. Let it go. There are, some, there are some things that I've got to let go and walk away from. 
I don't want to take a lot of time and dive into that because I could preach an entire sermon right here about letting go. And, and there are two sermons that you preach as a preacher that make people tense up. One of them is if you start talking about giving, people will automatically tense up. The other thing that really gets them is when you start talking about letting go of the hurt of your past because it becomes a security blanket. It becomes the crutch. It becomes the excuse for why we are who we are. It becomes the excuse for why I do what I do. I, I'm justified in being this way because of what has happened to me. And I get that because the pain of our past is painful. It, it really does hurt. But at what point do we say, you know what, I'm not going to allow that to define my life anymore. I'm going to be defined by what God has said and what God has done. Because as soon as I came into Christ, I became a new creation. All things became new. So I'm not damaged goods. I am the loved of God. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? I'm not damaged goods. I'm not unwanted. I am wanted. I am desired. He loved me enough to shed his blood for me. I'm not abandoned. I'm chased down. I, I've got to realize that and I've got to start removing anything that would keep me from the life that he's called me to, that life of righteousness, that life of wholeness, that life of completeness. That's a process. I, I don't, you know, I, I don't think that is something that's going to just happen overnight for you. It's a process. But you allow that healing to start to begin. You, you start to take those things to God. And when those feelings rise up, you take it to God and you say, God, I know that I should not be feeling this way, but I am. And it's real to me, but I don't want it anymore. And you start allowing him to renew your mind and bring healing to your heart. But that's something you've got to choose. It is your choice to walk away. It is your choice to guard your heart. It is your choice to protect the command center of your life. Psalm 19:14, David says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer, let what's going on in here be pleasing to you, God. Think about that. See, many of us know how to adjust our actions when we're around people and make it look like everything's okay, but what is going on in here? What does this look like? Because God sees this. He sees what's going on. He sees what we're meditating on. He sees what we're feeding on. And the meditation of our heart is going to take us somewhere. Are you hearing me, church? The meditation of your heart will take you somewhere. Some of you are destroying your life because of what you're allowing your meditation to focus on. Then he says, for shoes, how many of you like shoes? Ladies out there like shoes? I have a hard time finding shoes. I got big feet, wide feet. My wife always buys me shoes, and they never fit. I have to send them back. So if you notice, ever look, I, I typically wear the same shoe all the time because I find what fits, and I work it. It has nothing to do with sermon, but I just thought you should know. <laughs> First world problems, my friend. But he says as for shoes, put on the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. I've never thought about it this way. I've never read it this way, but I saw that it is put on the shoes that are the readiness. The readiness that comes from the gospel of the peace. See, the gospel makes me ready to move. The gospel makes me ready to stand. The gospel gives me the ability to stand firm. The gospel gives me the ability to go in the right direction when I need to go. Are you following that? The readiness. I'm ready to move. I'm ready to wait. Whatever I need to do, I am ready because his word is guiding my life. 
The Bible says that his word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. He's showing me how to walk. The steps of a good man are what? Ordered of the Lord. Have you ever tried to like navigate a dark space that you were unfamiliar with? How'd that turn out? I remember when I was a kid, we were playing hide-and-go-seek in the dark, and I had hidden under the shelf that I wasn't aware that was there. And the seeker came in, and when the seeker came into the room, I jumped up and jammed my head into the corner of that shelf and gashed my head open. That would not have happened if I was able to see. There are so many landmines that the enemy tries to put in our path, in our life, that the Word of God will reveal to us, that the Spirit of God will reveal to us as long as we are dialed in and connected to. But if you're not dialed into the Spirit or connected to what His Word is saying, you are walking every day into a field of landmines. And don't be surprised when things start blowing up around you. Are you with me this morning? But the gospel of peace gives me the awareness, the readiness. The understanding. Somebody say, I'm ready. I'm ready to move. Shield of faith is the next one. Isaiah 54, 17 says, no weapon that is formed against me shall succeed. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. No weapon formed. I cannot stop the weapons from being formed. That's out of my control. But I can control how successful that weapon is for me by taking up the shield of faith. The shield of faith says no weapon formed against me is going to prosper. When this rises up, I don't move in fear. I move in faith. I, I don't start speaking my doubts. I start speaking what God's word has said. And it says in all circumstances, and it can extinguish all the fiery darts, faith, 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 it protects me. Somebody say, I've got to have the shield of faith. Then he says, the helmet of salvation. Guard your mind. Guard your thoughts. As a believer, we are to be renewed in our mind. That's what the Bible teaches, that we are renewed in our mind, and we, we actually learn to replace our carnal mind with the mind of Christ, which means now I can think the way he thinks. Now I can see the way he sees because his spirit is resting upon me. I have his mind. And so I've got to guard that mind with the salvation. What is salvation? See, many people, when you talk about salvation, they don't fully understand it. They think salvation is just their ticket to heaven. And I'm thankful that I will get to go to heaven. It's going to be amazing. But salvation has to do with identity. Salvation has to do with Jesus coming to seek and save that which was lost. What was lost in the garden? Our identity, our authority, our right, our dominion. So Jesus comes, he makes everything right through the shedding of his blood. And so now my identity is secured in him, that I am now a child of God. I'm not a loser, but I'm more than a conqueror. I'm an overcomer. I have authority because Jesus has given me authority. He's given me some keys. He's given me some access points. And so I begin to fill my mind with what God has done. I meditate on what God has done and not on what I see. This morning as I was leaving the house, my youngest daughter asked me to turn the television on for her. Turn the TV on. Yes, we, pastor has a television in his house. You know, there was a time that pastors used to have to hide their televisions because they were preaching and telling everyone they couldn't have a television. <laughs> See, y'all don't know nothing about that stuff. So it was the hell of vision. <laughs> but she asked me to turn the TV on. And immediately when I turned the, the TV on, it was on some news channel. And they were talking about devastating things that are happening that are going to bring devastating consequences. You know what I did? I immediately turned it off and turned on her program. I'm not going to feed myself with that. I don't need to know what the world system is saying. Because I serve a God who operates outside of the system of this world. His ways are higher. So when they say drought, my God says, I'll bring water from a rock. When they say famine, my God says, I can multiply the fish and the loaves. 
When they call for crisis, my God says, I'll give you victory. Think about it. All through Scripture, you see God doing things for his children, blessing them in impossible ways, opening up seas so they can walk in dry ground, giving water in a well and a harvest in time of famine. One guy sows seed in a time of famine. It was the worst time of the year and worst season to sow. Yeah, he sowed because he knew his God. And because he sowed and knew his God, God blessed it, and he brought a harvest even in famine. See, we don't play by the same rules as the world because we serve the one who governs the world. The moment he says the sky is green, it becomes green. The moment he says you're blessed, and highly favored is the moment that you are blessed and highly favored. I'm walking in that. I'm owning that. I'm meditating on it. God tells Joshua, he says, you need to meditate on the word day and night. Why? So that you be careful to do everything that is written in it. Then you'll make your way prosperous. You'll have good success. See, prosperity and success, and when I talk about prosperity and success, I'm talking about things beyond money. Because money is not prosperity. Money can be a part of prosperity, but money is not prosperity. I'm talking about complete wholeness, which is what God wants to bring in your life. Shalom, peace, wholeness. That is up to you. Determined by what you do, how you think, how you move. The seeds you sow determine the harvest you receive. So if, if, you're, if you're upset with your current situation, examine the seed and change it. Can I ask you what got you to where you are right now? Like I want you to, if you are in a crisis right now of any sort, I want you to start thinking to yourself, what got me here? What got us here? And what do we need to do to fix it? What got us here and what do we need to do to fix it? Examine the seed because the seed will produce a harvest. Some of you that want to sit down and have personal counseling with me, I'm going to go ahead and get it over with right now. That's what you need to hear. Examine the seed, because the seed will bring the harvest. What seed are you sowing? What seeds are we sowing as a family? Because that has brought the reality that we are living in. Man, that's good teaching. I'm going to buy that one myself and listen to it on tape cassette. The final one, he says, is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Somebody say the sword of the Spirit. You have to understand that the Word of God, and it's not the final one, the Word of God has incredible power. And your mouth is the launching pad for that weapon. When you begin to declare what God's word says, not your feelings, not what you're thinking, not your wish, but what God's word says, his word will not return void, but it will prosper wherever it is sent. When Satan came to tempt Jesus, Jesus responded with what? The word of God. That is how you fight your battles. All of these other things that we have read, they're all a defensive part of the armor. But our offense is the, new, the next two things we're talking about. One being the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It is amazing to me how many people are Christians that don't take time to read the Word of God. No wonder. No, you know what? I was in school at one point in time in life. Did you know that? There are tests that I failed because I did not study the material. If I would have taken time to study the material, I would have passed the test. Does that make sense to you? Why are you trying to go through life without the Word of God? 
without an understanding, without a firm foundation. I promise you, the Word of God begins to shift and change things. The Bible says that it is sharper than a two-edged sword. It, it, it starts to pierce. It starts to work on you. It is the only book that reads you when you read it. It starts to shape some things. It starts to show some things. It begins to reveal some things. It's like a mirror that you look into, and it begins to show you what needs to be changed, what needs to be fixed. And then through the power of the Holy Spirit and His grace, you can begin to work on that. Somebody say, I have to have the Word. Have word. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So our weapons are not carnal, but they have supernatural God-given power to destroy or demolish strongholds. What is a stronghold? It is something that the enemy has set up around your life to keep you confined. Could be a way of thinking, could be a habit, could be this or that. He has developed it through an open door. He has come in and developed a stronghold in your life. And God is telling us, I've given you a weapon to destroy that stronghold. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. How? Through the word. Lies and deception are weapons of the enemy, but when we have the truth, you render his weapon useless. Anybody familiar with the Patriot Missile? The Patriot missile is designed to go and find other missiles and disarm them, to take them out of commission. That's what the Word of God does in your life. When the enemy is coming in like a flood, the Word of God raises up a standard against him. So when the attack comes, I've got my faith, and I begin to release his Word through faith, and that Word begins to take out every attack so that no weapon formed against me will prosper. Every tongue that rises up against me is condemned. Church, if you'll just hear what I'm saying, this will change your life. You know why I do what I do on Sunday mornings? There's two reasons. One, I'm called to do it. Two, I desperately, desperately, desperately want to see you walk in the fullness of what God wants to do in your life. There are other methods and strategies that I could use to, to build the physical place and people, bringing in more people, but that's not my aim. My aim is to strengthen you. If I can strengthen you, we'll reach the world because you become effective. The stronger you are, the more effective you become. And that's what, that's what you have to understand is these attacks that are coming against you, if you are in Christ, they will not alter your destination. Satan has no power to alter your destination once you are in Christ Jesus. But he can affect your journey. And by affecting your journey, he can change how effective you are to reach somebody else. Because how can I help those that I have not found help for myself? But when I have learned how to overcome, then I can bring that strength to someone else. The final thing he says is pray all the time. Prayer done right has great power. Wednesday night, we're going to talk more about prayer. And I may even dive a little more into what we're going to talk about right here. But the Bible teaches that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Meaning, the moment you release the prayer in faith, it starts working on your behalf. It goes into an unseen realm and starts working and accomplishing things until the due season comes that it springs forth and manifests and you see the result. Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 7, he says, when you pray. Prayer is not optional if you want to have a victorious life. More prayer, more power. More prayer, more power. Prayer is not optional if you want to have a victorious life. You have to learn how to communicate with your Father. And so Jesus goes on to say, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. You're not just throwing things up in the air hoping something sticks. For they think that they will be heard by their many words. Do not be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask. Pray then like this. Now Jesus is going to give us an outline. 
I'm not going to take time to really work on this today, but I want to kind of give you an overview that you can either go back and listen to the podcast and really dive into this for yourself. But Jesus gives us a model prayer here where he says, Our Father in heaven. Right there you see nature and position. His nature is he is a father, which means if he is a father, you are a child. And as a child, you have the right to come to him with anything that you need. Because of the blood of Jesus, you can come into the throne room of God with boldness. You have access. Turn to the person next to you and say, you have access. You have access to the throne room of God because he is your father. And so we see prayer is relational. We're not speaking to a far-off, distant, cosmic being. We are speaking to our Father who is with us and who loves us. Then he says, our Father in heaven. That deals with position. That he is seated in a position of authority. So in prayer, as we pray, we come to him as a Father, but we begin to praise him for his greatness. We begin to praise him for his strength. And when we praise him, we get his attention. God inhabits the praises of his people. If you do not have praise in your life, you will not have victory in your life. Many times, praise precedes the victory. Through scripture, you can see battles that they go into, and before one person draws a sword, a praise is released. And once the praise is released, God will come down and fight the battle for them. When you are a child of God and you begin to release praise, God will actually show up and start fighting on your behalf. So in prayer, we start talking about how great God is. You are a mighty God. It is by your outstretched and mighty hand that I am saved. I am here today because of your goodness. I am here today because of your grace. And I just want to take time to say thank you, Lord. So it deals with nature and position. Then Jesus says, hallowed be your name. That deals with worship. God is holy, and he must be treated as holy. Then he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is praying for his will and according to his will. I know his will because of his word, and so now I speak his will, and I'm praying, God, I'm asking that your will be done in my home, in my family, in my church, my city, my state, my nation, and I can elaborate on that in prayer and take any kind of specific to it. Verse 11 says, give us, us, this day our daily bread. So this is a petition or a request. So when you pray, you have the right to petition God for whatever it is that you need. Give us this day our daily breath, uh, bread. But this is not just for me as an individual, but also us collectively, which means I can pray on behalf of someone else. And that's probably what we're going to talk about Wednesday night is the power of intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer is when I begin to intercede on your behalf. I begin to intercede on the behalf of the people of this city. Why do I do it? Because I understand the power of prayer. I'll let y'all go here in a moment, but you've got to understand this. There are things that we complain about that we need to start praying about. Because our complaining will not change anything. Our prayer has the power to change everything. And your enemy does not have a face, a natural face. And that's the problem is we want to point fingers and say, you're the enemy, wife's the enemy, this person's the enemy, politician's the enemy. They're not the enemy. It is a spirit behind the person that is the enemy. And the only way you can deal with that is through prayer. That's why we're starting to do what we're going to do on Wednesday nights when we're going to come together and pray because we believe that the power of our praying together can change things can set people free, that we can actually create an atmosphere, Mary, I believe this, that we can create an atmosphere through our prayer, our praise, our worship, so that when people come into this building, they receive their healing. Not because of anything that we do, but the atmosphere is here. Jesus is already walking. I'm probably getting a little too deep for for some of you here, but you understand that Jesus walks in the midst of his church when we gather? Do you realize that? That's what the scripture teaches. And so we create an atmosphere so that as we're doing what we're doing, Jesus, he begins to walk and touch you 
and meet you at the point of your need. And I believe that he's doing that right now. Whatever it is that you need in your life, I believe that he is coming and meeting you at the point of your need. It says, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. That's asking for forgiveness and also praying that his nature will become my nature. Forgive me, uh, forgive me, but also help me to forgive others. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's direction and protection. God, I'm asking that you would lead me into a path of peace. Keep me from the things that would try to seek me out and destroy me. Make me aware of the plans that the enemy has for me. See, I realized this morning the feelings that I felt were not natural. They were not natural feelings. So I could not deal with them in a natural way. I could have gone and grabbed a bottle of whiskey and drank half a bottle of whiskey and probably taken a pretty decent nap. But it wouldn't have changed anything. I could have popped some pills, but it wouldn't have changed anything. I could have turned something on the television or got on the internet and looked at some stuff, but it wouldn't have changed anything because it wasn't a natural thing that I was dealing with. It was a spiritual thing trying to keep me from walking in my purpose. And so I go after that in a spiritual way. And I overcome. I overcome. I overcome. Why? Because there is a fight, but the fight is in my favor. There's a fight. But the fight is in your favor. The battle has already been won. Jesus has given you the victory through what he did on the cross. All we've got to do now is stand firm. Resist. Stand firm. Resist. How? By applying these things that Paul walks us through. These aren't just cute Sunday school lessons. These are things that these guys are wanting to prepare people for. Because they're dealing with some, I mean, they're dealing with some stuff, man. They're dealing with prison. They're dealing with death. They're dealing with being martyred for their faith. And they need to know this, that, that when the enemy comes to your door and tries to arrest you, that the enemy there with the handcuffs, they're not the enemy, it's the spirit behind them. When you're being beaten and you're being whipped for your faith, it's not the person whipping you that's the problem, it's the spirit behind them. But take heart, because he's already overcome the world. And the trials of our faith, the fight that we fight is producing something. It's giving us an endurance. It's giving us a strength. It's, it's chiseling us into becoming who God has called us to become. One thing that breaks my heart as a pastor is seeing people refuse to become who God has said that they can become. People that I love dearly, living life as if God doesn't even exist. It's practical atheism. We declare that God is God, but we live as if he doesn't exists. We live as if his blood accomplished nothing. I want that to turn around for you today. 